Blessed be your name in the land that is plentiful, where your streams of abundance flow. Blessed be your name. Blessed be your name when I'm found in the desert place, though I walk through the wilderness. Blessed be your name. Blessing you pour out, I'll turn back to praise. And when the darkness closes in, Lord, still I will say, Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be your name. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be Blessed be your name when the sun shining down on me, when the world's all as it should be. Blessed be your name. Blessed be your name on the road marked with suffering, though there's pain in the offering. Blessed be your name. Sing you pour out, I'll turn back to praise. When the darkness closes in, Lord, still I will say, Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be your name. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be your name. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be your glorious name. You give and take away. You give and take away. My heart will choose to say. Glory.
seated. Well, it's good to see everyone today. Hope everybody's doing good. I know it's a weird moment that we're living in called the year 2020. I think that's the year that just said whenever uh, the door opened up to it, to each of us, you ain't never seen a year like me before. And I, I got to admit, uh, I've seen a lot of strange things in my lifetime, but I've never seen a year like 2020. And some people have said that uh, we not only have one major crisis, but we've got like five going on at the same time. Well, you can pick your crisis and you can pick your problems and you can ask, you know, uh, is, it, is it really that bad or is it really that good? Uh, and the only way that I think we can get perspective on in of any of it is to ask God to give us wisdom regarding how we relate to what is happening out there. So I'm glad you're in here, and I'm glad if, um, if you're online, uh, you're able to gather with us in spirit. Uh, I know that God is working through the church, even though we have these limitations, and uh, it's been good to hear stories of how that's been happening. Um, but with that said, uh, we're going to just move right into our prayer time, into our message, and then at the end of the message, we will have communion, and if you have an offering, just put them in the offering baskets in the back. Um, so let's just begin with prayer. Any prayer concerns, any praises, anything going on in your world that you're uh, just uh, rejoicing about or anything that is a burden that you've carried in? And if there is, we want to lift that up to the Lord. Anybody have anything on your heart today? Okay. Mary? Yeah. Linda Hufford's birthday. Whoa, Linda Huffer is in pew number seven up from the back. Would you stand? All right. Okay, so happy birthday. Attila's not here today uh, to, to lead us in singing happy birthday, and you certainly don't want me to lead, so uh, you, you, get to see, you get off the hook today. Uh, speaking of Attila and Jackie, uh, keep Jackie lifted up in your prayers. Uh, she had surgery on her hand, and she's recovering. Uh, so I know a lot of you have been praying for her. Um, but uh, we're grateful that um, uh, we haven't had a huge amount of concerns lately. Uh, keep in, in your prayers Case Watson. And, um, and let's see who else we have uh, that's been on our list lately. Um, we have been praying for a little boy named Coy Cope, uh, who is uh, a, a friend of members of our church who has had uh, uh, brain surgery three times in the last, um, I'm going to say month, and he's three, or, three years old, and I uh, want to just pray for his healing, and uh, so just keep that in mind. Well, let's go ahead and, and go, go to our Heavenly Father and take these things before him. Father, as we just begin this first day of the week, we know that despite the chaos and the confusion that is in the world around us, and to some degree uh, pressing in on our own lives and families, that you are our stable constant, that you are our foundation, and you have established us, Lord, in your family, in your ways, in your care, in your protection. 
in your encouragement, in your joy, despite everything, and for all of those ways that you bring stability to our lives, we are grateful. We want to just lift this day up to you. Pray, Father, that our hearts and our minds would be open to hearing what you have to say, whether it is in music or in the words that I share or the words that we hear from one another, that you would be a voice in our world in this gathering, that you would help us, Father, to be able to take the things that we learn today and use them to make sense uh, for the, the next six days of the week. I pray, Father, that if there are burdens or needs or there is um, a call for healing, that you would do so in the lives of our people, whether we are gathered or whether we're here in spirit. I pray, Father, that you would bless all of the churches in, in our country, that as they gather and as they struggle with how it is that we practice our faith in a time like this, that you continue to keep our people safe, that you would take uh, the substance of the things that war against our health in terms of a threat, and you would diminish their presence and effect in our country, in our world. We pray, Father, for the ability to move about freely, to regain um, those freedoms that we have been constrained in at the moment and ask, Father, that as um, those limitations have worked on us, that they wouldn't, they wouldn't um, affect our, our well-being, our livelihood, uh, those things that we normally take for granted. Pray, Father, that as we lift up um, things that we celebrate, we're grateful for being with Linda Huffer and for others that are celebrating birthdays uh, in, this, in this moment. We pray that you'd bless them. We pray, Father, that you would be with Coy Cope and that you would continue to, to heal him and be with Kay Swanson and that you would help her with the struggle that she's facing. We thank you, Father, that as, um, as, as we go through these struggles and many of them in nursing homes and places where they're in isolation, that you are a faithful presence. So, Father, we just lift these things up to you, trusting that you will attend to each of them and your will and your purpose and your time. And we pray as well that you help us to be aligned in heart and mind as we draw from the Sermon on the Mount and the prayer that you taught the disciples to pray, that it would be our prayer and it would define how we look at life. Uh, so would you pray with me now our Lord's Prayer? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us of our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles with you, feel free to turn to Matthew chapter 5. And as you do that, um, I want to read a portion of scripture from uh, uh, chapter 5. <clears throat> that I think you're probably all familiar with. <clears throat> and, it, and it goes like this. <clears throat> You've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. You with me so far? But I say to you, do not resist an evildoer, but if anybody strikes you on the cheek, turn also the other. 
And if anyone wants to sue you and take your coat, give your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go also the second mile. Give to everyone who begs from you, and do not refuse anyone who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be children of your, hev- of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on, on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even tax collectors do the same? And if you give, and if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what more are you doing for others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? And then he adds, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, how many of you have ever read those words and said, I'm not sure what what to make of those? Because uh, if somebody does something to me that's an act of violence, I certainly don't want to turn the other cheek. And if somebody tries to tell me what to do, I certainly don't want to do it if it's coercive and if it's uh, demanding. Um, And if somebody says, um, um, uh, if there's somebody persecuting me, uh, I can't treat them with the same spirit of love that I treat somebody in my own family. And so there's a lot about this that I think is very hard to kind of digest. And yet, um, there's a longing inside of us, I think, for people and families and countries and races to get along. And I honestly believe that when Jesus wrote these words, he knew that longing. You know, when I lived in uh, Illinois, we had a... um, we had a gentleman whose name was Richard Hatfield. No offense to anybody in the room named McCoy. <laughs> but Richard Hatfield's uh, uh, presence in our church was kind of interesting because I had some time to spend with him. And I asked him one day uh, as um, uh, we were traveling up to his family farm in, in uh, central Illinois. I said, when did you guys start this farm? And he said, well, I'll tell you a story. My, my father, or my grandfather and his father, or his brother, just got tired of fighting. And I said, well, what do you mean? He said, well, you've heard about the Hatfields and McCoys, haven't you? And I said, yeah. And he said, well, they were part of them. They were the Hatfield side from West Virginia. And they just got tired of the fact that everybody was always in turmoil. There was always drama, and there certainly was the threat of another person killing another person. And they said, we just didn't want that. And so they hopped on a train, you know, the kind that is going slowly by, and you grab on and you hang on. And uh, they let, he said, they let go right around uh, Rantoul, Illinois. And they said, we're going to make a life here. So they began a farm and they started it and um, were very active in their church and influential in getting one started. Interestingly enough, there are McCoys in the room from Kentucky, and I have to think that there is a connection here, right? But wouldn't it be cool if you guys could meet my friend Richard Hatfield and know that the commonality that we have together isn't so much the last name that, that uh, is 
is, is obviously uh, in conflict, but the real name that defines their family connection, and that is the name of Jesus. I don't think they would say, oh, he's a Hatfield. They would say, knowing you guys, you would say, oh, he's a brother in the Lord. Now, how do you get to that place where you begin to redefine yourself so that your life is no longer centered on the conflicts, the animosities, the things that defined you on a human level that perhaps made life not what God intended it to be? I really think that's why Jesus came, was he saw a vision for what life could be and he knew that we had, through his strength, the capacity to do it. But like anything, if you tell a story, everybody's got a side to the story, don't they? I mean, I'm sure if I talked to the McCoys and we wanted to drill down into that story, they would have a take on it that might be different than the Hatfields. Or would you say they were all on the same page? My guess is it's kind of like whenever I was in fourth grade and there were three of us who decided after school that we would go for a ride downhill on a dumpster at the school that had wheels that we thought that could be pretty fun. We'll just push it and we'll hop on and see where it goes. Well, we didn't anticipate it falling over and spewing papers all over the place. And as soon as that happened, the three of us just ran in three different directions not thinking that anybody would know what happened. The next day, we each got an individual call from the principal saying, over the intercom, um, Mrs. Bergner, could you send Leonard Moore down to the office? And I remember hearing that and thinking, oh my, we've been caught. And it was interesting because the principal interviewed all three of us separately. And by the time I gave my story, he said, your story is in conflict with their story. They said that you're the one who initiated this whole process. And I said, no, I, I, it wasn't me. It was so-and-so. And, well, you know how stories are. The first person who tells it is usually the one who frames it, Right? You go with that story and you say, okay, we're just going to build on that. And then somebody comes in and says, no, it didn't happen that way. But we're so biased, aren't we, against how we first came to believe the story that we tend to skew that way. And as it turned out, I was the unfortunate one to have his story told third. And it seemed like the punishment on my end was more severe than theirs and I was just in the wrong place at the wrong time, victim of circumstance. Probably, you know, had I not tried to find a quicker route to getting where I was going by hopping on for the ride, none of that would have happened. Well, you can shape it any way you want to, but the ultimate thing is there is a way that every story should be told, and probably all of us tell the story in our own unique way because we all have our own agenda, our own bias. We all want to protect ourselves. Yet, when we hear it from God's point of view, he doesn't have to worry about protecting himself. He doesn't have to worry about getting in trouble or not getting in trouble. Matter of fact, God is totally secure in the truth. He is filled with truth. And the rest of us, we're still struggling. 
But here's the thing about telling a story. Where you begin to tell it makes all the difference in the world, doesn't it? Now, some people, when they tell the Bible story, they will say, you're a sinner, God sent his son, he paid the price, and if you believe in his son, you'll not die and go to hell, but you'll go to heaven. The end. And if you believe in that, you will no longer have to worry about punishment. You can tell the good news that way. But you know how I tell the good news? Obviously, that's a part of it. But with the framing story, it begins in a garden and it ends in a garden. Do you know that? Just look at the first two chapters of the Bible. Read the last two chapters of the Bible. And they basically say the same thing, only the last chapter is a lot more developed than the first. The last two are a lot more developed than the first two in this book we call the Bible. You with me? Now, that vision of the garden, I think, is something you need to wrap your mind and imagination around because I don't know about you. I like the idea of my household working. And I like the idea of not having any more drama than I absolutely need. Now, the way I'm wired, I got into a lot of trouble whenever I was a kid. And it was just because I didn't have a clear sense of boundary. And I just liked the adventure of doing things that sometimes I wasn't supposed to do. But you know why I'm in church? <clears throat> is because I got tired of the drama that was on the backside of all of those misadventures. And I realized that I needed some more boundaries and order. But I also wanted to have relationships with other people that worked. You know, the kind that are filled with love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Well, all of those qualities in and of themselves, I don't have the capacity to create. But there is one who does. And I don't know if you can see the relief of him very well in this. Can you guys make out an image in that? Maybe the lighting isn't that good. But it, it's, it's one person's way of saying, this is how I see Jesus. And the interesting thing, this is an artist, J.A. Stamp from Salem, Ohio, 1987. And all of those things that you see are words from the Sermon on the Mount. And they did it in such an artistic way that as they pressed in on the ink, it created a relief where there was an image that appeared at the end of the writing of all of those words. And the idea was, in the center of all of those words is a picture. And it's the picture of the Lord. And when we read the Sermon on the Mount, and we read verses like, um, an eye for an eye is not really the way to go, but rather turn the other cheek and um, let that... Uh, Roman soldier um, order you around and carry his stuff. We're like, Jesus, what are you up to? Now, now, please just stay with me. He's trying to show us that if we live a certain way that honors God, we'll be blessed. And not only that, things 
as hard as it is to believe, will begin to work out. They will begin to right themselves. And the drama will diminish. And the relationships will thrive. And it all starts with him. There's really no other way. Now, I'll tell you another quick story. And this was a guy who had to leave uh, his home for about three or four days. And he told his oldest son, I'm going to be leaving for a few days. And I want you to watch out for your mom. And I want you to take care of things like you, you see me take care of things. And he said, you know, help out with the dishes, help out with, you know, sweeping the floor and picking up after yourself. Well, three or four days uh, go by and he, um, the father returns and asks the wife how things went. She said, you know, it was really kind of weird. Your, your son, he would get up and the first thing he would do is make a cup of coffee. Then he would turn some music on kind of loud. And then after that, he would go sit down in the chair and read the newspaper. And he repeated that pattern every day. And the irony is, uh, she said, that's what he saw you do. And isn't it funny how we can give directives, but at the end of the day, what people see is really what they take away. We can say stuff all day long, but it's our pattern of behavior that really speaks the truth. And when Jesus is saying these things, he's actually saying, the pattern of behavior that I'm, I, I'm showing you and I'm telling you about is actually the pattern of behavior that you will find me doing. All right? Now, if you've read those words in the Sermon on the Mount, you know that um, these are hard words. For example, um, whenever Jesus tells this, he ends uh, on verse 48, indicating that we need to be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. And I've known people to take those verses and say, I'm a sinner, I need to try hard, I need to not sin anymore, I need to be perfect. But if you read the context, he's not really talking about that. He's actually talking about how we relate to other people. That's the context. How we relate to other people. And God by design relates to people perfectly. And if we can't wrap our minds around that, because we can't really see it, he sent somebody to embody that in a way that if you look carefully, you'll start to see how perfectly God relates to other people. Now, I hope at the end of this message, you'll see exactly how these things that Jesus said were the things that people saw. Well, let's just take a real quick look at what's going on in this, in this sermon because if you read the Bible, you know that it centers on a group of people called the nation of Israel. And they were God's chosen people. And isn't it nice to be chosen? And a lot of times you're chosen versus other people not being chosen. And a lot of people have been frustrated with that notion of they're chosen and we're not. 
And when you read the Bible carefully, you'll find that it's not really chosen to be sort of like an, an elite special group of people that are included and other people not. But rather, they are chosen for the purpose. The purpose of blessing. You ever read the Sermon on the Mount? How does it start out? With blessing. You ever read the story of the call of Abraham? How does it start out? Blessing. You read the next few lines and it says, you are a light to the world. You are the salt of the earth. Jesus is speaking to Israel and is saying, you haven't been the blessing. You haven't been the light of the world. You haven't been the salt of the, of the earth. And he just comes right out swinging. And a lot of times we'll just read this sort of individually like, yeah, I need to try harder to be the salt or I need to try harder to be the light. But in reality, what he's saying is, don't get me wrong, those things are true. He's saying that if you're chosen for a purpose in this story that is framed by the garden on the, on the front side and a more advanced garden where God dwells again with his people on the back side, he's saying that's where all of this is going. And as he's taking us there, he's telling us this is the path, this is the route. And a lot of us are saying, that's a weird path. I mean, I get that the Bible says an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But why did it even say that in the Old Testament? Have you ever gotten mad at somebody? I mean, really mad at somebody that just offended you in a big way or just upset you in a big way? And you ever get tunnel vision where you're like, I'm just going to retaliate. And sometimes that just takes over in a form of anger where the retaliation is actually much, much worse than the initial offense, a.k.a., I'm sorry, guys, Hatfields and McCoys. Um, it just escalates. And the eye for an eye was just a way of saying, limit your vengeance to just this. But that wasn't the goal. The goal was to take you to a place where you're no longer even going down that road. Because that's not really God's heart, even though it's ours. You with me so far? And as God is trying to show us through his son Jesus a new way, he recognizes something, that the people that were chosen, that were called, are now living in a moment that is not fun. They've had, well, let's see, they've had the, the Persians, the Babylonians, the Medes, um, they've had the Romans, they've had the Greeks all oppressing them bullying them, beating them up, and they were sick of it. And in the moment that Jesus is giving the sermon, Roman soldiers are just within eyeshot, and oftentimes they would just pick on them. <laughs> they would harass them. And God's people are like, Lord, when? When are you going to restore things? When are you going to make things right? And God said, don't worry, it's going to happen, and it's going to start with my son, who embodies everything that is in my heart. And so you've heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I say that if somebody strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other also. And that could be a Roman soldier, or it could be a person who is higher up on the food chain. And the idea is they're superior, 
you're an inferior. When they strike you, they're not, they're not just, they're not doing this. They're doing this in a humiliating way. And Jesus says, when they do that, turn the other cheek and say, go ahead and, and do that one as well while you're at it. And what he's doing is actually trying to create some confusion that disarms the people that are in that superior possession, position because now you're the one making the decision about what's going to happen. And it's a very equalizing thing. And what this is trying to illustrate isn't, I need to literally go do that, but it's sort of like this is an example of what God is up to, how he wants to disarm and diffuse all of that. Or imagine this, you're a Roman soldier and you say, a Jewish peasant, I've got some pretty heavy baggage here and I need you to carry it. And by Roman law, that Jewish peasant was obligated to carry it one mile. And so, under duress, completely against their own will, they had to carry it or suffer. And so they pick it up and they carry it. And as soon as they hit that mile marker, they could say, I'm dropping this on the ground. But what would happen if they said that to you and you said, you know what? I'm just going to carry this another mile for you, my friend. Would they expect that? Would they expect that, I mean, would their hostility continue to be stoked or would it be disarming? And it's just another way of saying, I'm doing a different path here. And the idea was, again, to create some level of confusion in the mind of the people that were normally used to hostility and used to always being in conflict. And it's a hard road to go down unless you feel secure in your relationship with the Father. Unless you find your dignity not through what other people think of you, but rather what the Father thinks of you. You know, the Father, you know, your child. He's your father, you're his son or daughter. That's your identity. That's your worth. And then there's another statement here about um, not only... Do you take um, uh, a person who is suing you and you're in the law court? And in this case, oftentimes it was very wealthy people who had access to legal representation suing somebody who just had no resources whatsoever. And what little they had taking more away from them. It was just a common practice. Because not only were the Romans heavy-handed in their oppression, but they also were heavy-handed in taking a fair portion of their earnings in the form of taxes. And so people worked very hard and received very little, except just the ability to live and, and eat and have basic needs met. And not only that, within the Jewish population themselves there's a lot of animosity there were people that were pure Jews and there were people that were Samaritan Jewish people that were looked upon as inferior and so you kind of had a racial issue happening so you've got heavy handedness of um, uh, of a military power you have a 
group of people that seem to control a lot of the machinery and a lot of people into you and just try to survive. And I think we all have to make that choice. And one reason why I believe God has you in church is because church helps you to cultivate that vision for life. Unless you like to live your life in a way that just says, I'm just going to keep my head low and I hope I don't get any conflict with anybody, any drama, and I hope that the day ends well in kind of a survivor mode. Would you want your children to live in a survivor mode all day long? Or would you rather see your children face each day with some level of confidence and security and a sense of purpose and vision and then be able to take the energy from the day and not use it just to try to survive and get by, but rather use it to become who God has made you to become. And that's really what God is after for us. That's why the two gardens are so important. Because they tell us what we were designed for and a whole lot of train wreck in the middle and then a whole lot of trying to put the trains back on the track towards the end and then eventually the whole thing being reset in the way that it's supposed to be. And so when I preach, I know that I have a sin problem, and I know you do too. And I know I have a relationship problem with the people around me, and I know you do too. And I know all of those things get in the way of that vision that God has for us. So every day I wake up and I say, Lord, help me to live out the vision for your kingdom. I don't say that just because I'm a pastor. I say it because I believe it. And God has sort of slowly woken me up to the fact that it's a thing. And as Jesus is saying this, uh, he knows that people are listening and they're saying, that's weird. That's not like what we're used to seeing or thinking. And can you imagine going to court, for example, and he says, if they ask you for your cloak, give them your tunic too. Well, I don't wear a cloak or a tunic, but it would be the equivalent of this. There, they only had two pieces of clothing, okay? So, you had your cloak over to the top, and then you had your tunic, and that was it. No BVDs, no Fruit of the Loom, nothing. That's it. And as you're in the courtroom, and the only possession that you have that's of any value is your cloak, and you're called to give it, Jesus said, you know what? Just, I mean, if they're going to humiliate you, go ahead and take your tunic off in the courtroom. And I don't recommend this, by the way, at the municipal court in Columbiana, but go ahead and take your tunic off and give it to them too and stand bare naked in front of everybody just to underscore the humiliation that you've just gone through. That's pretty bold stuff, isn't it? And no, it's not a 
a mandate for streaking. It is totally confined to the substance of that moment. And Jesus is telling these things so that the people that hear them begin to wake up. And the light bulb begins to sort of turn on. But Jesus knows he's got his work cut out for him. And the light bulb is not going to turn on. And in time, what we find is through these little sketches, people look backwards and they said, um, the things that we heard in that sermon three years ago were the very things we saw happen near the end. So when they mocked him, he chose not to respond. He chose not to react. When they challenged him, <laughs> expecting to get a rise out of him, he just said, let me just tell you a story. And it sort of threw him off. And oftentimes the stories were kind of humorous and ridiculous. And we're going to be spending the next several weeks going through those stories called the parables. And when they struck him, you know what he did? He just took it. And when they had a Roman soldier who said, we have to take this cross-shaped device that we kill people on, and we gotta, we got to take it up that hill. And so they ordered him to carry it. And without any resistance, he complied. And as he's carrying it up, he knows where this is headed. To a cross that he's carrying, that he's going to be hanging on for hours and hours until his body expires. And so when they put him up there, he chooses not to agonize in the way that they would expect him to, but he agonizes for them in prayer. And what did the Roman soldier say? Surely he must be the son of the gods. He's a Roman. He's got a pagan view of the gods. But he's kind of in the right department. Surely he must have been somebody different from some other place with some other vision. And here we are, not one, but 2,000 some years later, stewards of that same vision. Now, everything that Jesus said he did. What he said on that Sermon on the Mount was a blueprint for his life, and he embodied it. Everything that we see in Jesus, that is the person, God with us, he said, I'm going to give you a portrait of how I relate to other people, how the Father relates. I'm going to show you how to be perfect as he is perfect. Now, I, I think it's impossible for us to say, 
yeah, I'm going to be perfect. I'm not going to sin. I remember getting baptized and thinking, okay, now that I'm baptized, I'm done sinning. Over. Finished. Don't need that stuff in my life anymore. But we live in a pretty messed up place that constantly triggers messed up impulses that he, over time, helps us to overcome. We're imitators by nature. And the best imitation that we could ever do is to just simply begin imitating our Savior. So when Jesus said, be perfect as my heavenly Father is perfect, essentially what he's saying is, begin to live like you see how he would have you live as you see me. Have you ever heard the passage of Scripture saying, I can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens me? Now, I have to tell you something that I've learned about conflict because I like a good fight like anybody else, but I'm not doing that anymore. Plus, I probably lost more than I won. But I do know this. Conflict is actually a pathway to a better place. Sometimes when conflict happens and people are paying attention, God says, I'm actually going to work through this. And I'm going to restore what is creating the conflict if you're paying attention. I'm going to heal that impulse to always be in conflict if you begin to embrace my presence in your life. I'm going to help you become a better person through this experience. It's frustrating for me as a Christian when we have conflicts in the church and then people say, I'm out. I got to tell you, I, I, look, I've done that too. I don't like conflict any more than anybody else. But there's nothing more gratifying than to see people have the humility before the cross of Jesus to say, let's put him first in this conflict and let's begin to work backwards through it so that the ideal of Jesus' healing and restoration and reconciliation can become a reality that brings glory to the Father. I got to think that's pretty powerful stuff. Jesus is up to something. He's a bigger genius than we give him credit for sometimes when he, when, when he says that. We're like, yeah, Jesus, that works in theory, but not in reality. But the reality is you begin to put Jesus first, and then things start to happen in ways that you never thought could. Well, there's so much good news that I've shared today. I hope you've been able to take in at least whatever God is speaking to you in the moment regarding how it fits. And I hope that if he hasn't been the starting place for framing your life, that maybe today's a good day to say, yeah, I need to think about that. Or I need to actually invite him in. 
And we want to help you with that however we can. So I'm just going to close with prayer. And then uh, Brian is going to, uh, we're going to go to uh, communion real quick. And then we'll uh, close out. Would you bow with me? Father, it's so good to know that you're going somewhere with our lives, with our world, with the brokenness, with the mess. That you're in the business of calling us out and then calling us for something greater, a larger vision for life. And Father, we know that begins with our will, with our stubbornness. Lord, we each have our own Hatfields and McCoy battle going on inside our heads. We thank you, Father, that even in that story, there was healing and reconciliation and a better vision for things ahead. And Father, I just pray for each person here, people online, that that healing and that new vision for life, that restoration and that reconciliation that has to occur in order for us to be with you forever would begin to happen in each of our lives however they need to happen. And I thank you, Father. I pray that you bless this series as we've tried to look at how walls are broken down by your son and that we pay attention to the Sermon on the Mount in a new way so that we could capture your heart. Just bless everyone here and everyone online as uh, you speak to us and as we listen to what you have to say. In Jesus' name, amen. to say real quickly um, I, wanted, I forgot to mention this we have these individualized communion cups for reasons that are obvious they're available out back if you didn't get one we'll try to get you one there's a trick to doing these and basically you just pull the whole thing open try not to spill it sorry if um, it's uh, challenging but it's the best that human technology can do at this stage on the timeline and so here we are. Peel that off like that. And then you can just sort of peel this clear wrapping off like that. And like good Catholics, we have this round wafer, just a different approach to communion. And as we take it, I, I want you to just consider the things that we've shared in the Sermon on the Mount and just ask one question God is there any way that you've been speaking to my heart about how I can be better in my relationships with you and with other people and then help me to move forward and forgive me where I've sinned and I know he will let's take these together as um we remember those things.
praise you for this time that we can be together to hear your word and lift you up together. I pray for everybody as we go from this place, God, just for safety on all of them and that we put you first in everything we do. We love you and praise you. Amen. Sir. Real quick, encourage everyone who hasn't gotten a 21-day prayer booklet. They are back. Yeah. Okay, uh, the 21-day prayer, uh, we're starting in the booklets are out back. If you haven't got one, go ahead and pick one up and take one. If you're watching online, uh, either come by or call the office and we'll get you one somehow. All right. Oh, there's a PDF on the website. See you all later.